0: Hey there, folks. This is episode five of Humans Being. Uh, thanks for joining us. This is Nick and Ashley. How are you doing, Ash?
1: I'm doing okay. I'm hanging in there.
0: You're hanging in there. How's your back this time?
1: Uh, it's, I had a bad slip out a couple of days ago, so I'm kind of recovering from that. But I'm happy because at least it didn't slip all the way out, so that's good.
0: Slip out? You mean like, as in sort of what, go to the hospital?
1: Yeah, because the last few times that my back has slipped out really bad, I've wound up in the hospital. My goal this year is to not go to the hospital at all. So we will see if that happens. But <clears throat> yeah, the best way that I can describe it is like if you had a piece of paper and you tore it all the way, that's going to the hospital. And like this time it's like I tore, but there was like a centimeter leftover of that paper. So I was able to kind of piece everything back together. Nice. So Yeah.
0: Huh. Okay, so the acupuncture stuff is actually kind of helping.
1: Yeah, I definitely think so. I think the acupuncture is helping and my new diet and all that stuff is helping. So, yeah, I'm just chugging along.
0: Your diet, yeah, okay, to cut down on inflammation and stuff. Yeah. Is there a name for your condition, like what, your, what the problem with your back is? Is there an actual name for it?
1: Um, so the best that I can figure is it's ankylosing spondylitis, which is a really long horrible thing and then the other thing is arachnoiditis so those two things together are kind of uh the the ankylosing spondylitis is the uh, um inflammation and uh, like room rheum- like rheumatoid problem so that's the arthritic stuff i've had that for a long time uh, and then the um the uh, a- uh the uh, what do you call it? arachnoiditis is most likely caused by <laughs> having these conditions for a long time that went untreated and then getting um electrocuted in my spine it just kind of zapped all the nerves. So and the hard thing is that so basically when you have,
0: what it basically it's like the nerves have fused to your spine is that <laughs>
1: Kinda, yeah, yeah. So there's not a whole a whole lot of ways for them to move now. So that just I just have all these um, <clears throat> inflammatory responses all the time, and like so I can't sit right now. I haven't been able to sit for three years. So that's that's a long time to not be able mm. to sit. Um, yeah, yeah. It sounds so, like fun. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but you know, we're working on it.
0: You're spending a lot of time in the bathtub.
1: Yeah, I I pretty much spend. My morning, I, I like I, I get up fairly early and I, I've tried to make myself sleep, but then it's like I read for a couple hours and then I get into my tub, do my hydrotherapy, do exercises in there. But it's it's a good like four to five hours in the bathtub, which sounds like fun, but it's not because <laughs> it's exhausting right. to just, I don't know, just you feel like you're in a water prison basically. So, But I listen to podcasts. I, I write on my phone. Uh, I keep myself reading, you know, trying to keep my brain stimulated and everything. <clears throat> and then I go to bed fairly early. So that's kind of my life. So you're not a no. total vegetable. No, I keep myself as stimulated as I can. Only only death will keep me from being completely comatose. Even if I was in a coma, I would say, okay, play you know, play these studies or whatever at my bedside, I will be listening. So yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well let's hope the bathtub doesn't become your casket.
1: Yeah, I know be nice to not have that so yeah what have you been up to though you've been doing a lot of like woodworking stuff lately so what have you been doing in your little sphere
0: yeah trying to get into woodworking it's um it's yeah it's not hard to get into it's just hard to perfect so lots of little things that come along that you don't expect or trying to get things square and flush and flat by hand you know mm-hmm. uh, I don't know one day When I have a lock-up double garage, I'll have some machines and a table saw and uh, a couple of less fingers, probably.
1: Oh, no. (laughs) No, you'll keep all your fingers by the grace of God. But what do you think has been like your most, uh, either the most interesting thing or difficult thing or just something that you've learned from doing woodworking?
0: I think I'm, I'm making a little headphone stand for my desktop And it's all just kind of based on a design that I found on the web. Because the reason I got into this in the first place is just because you can save a lot of money and have a lot more fun making the thing that you actually need or Mm -hmm. want. Otherwise, you know, you go to a hi-fi audiophile shop, you pay 200 bucks for a stupid little headphone stand, which looks nice, but why does it cost $200? Yeah. You can build the same thing for like 50 at the hardware store so and the same thing with acoustic panels if you're making a studio space or if you need a spice rack or something for your kitchen you know you just get some pine and some glue and some nails and a bit of sandpaper and uh, a bit of staining you can get into your staining different colors different finishes and stuff yeah Uh, you just have to fight the perfectionist in yourself that's all yeah do you feel like
1: it's helping you kind of overcome that like just push through and not not get so caught up in the weeds?
0: It's definitely drawing attention to my perfectionism, yeah, because that always gets in the way, not just with woodworking, but with everything. Mm-hmm. Like with drumming, I'm trying to figure out how to play a double with one foot on the bass drum, and I'm spending way too much time on little things like that. So I think the same thing applies across all of life, really, wouldn't you say? I mean...
1: You, you yeah, I want I've,
0: to strike a balance.
1: Yeah, cuz perfection is the enemy of good, you know? Like we're not going to have perfect here in this broken world. <clears throat> and so sometimes by trying to achieve perfection, all we're ever doing is hitting our head against a wall instead of just enjoying what we have and, and you know, it's it's good and sometimes it's good enough, you know? And that can be really hard for a perfectionist. So
0: See, that's okay. Well, That's interesting cuz I would have said that perfection perfectionism is the enemy of productivity. But you say it's the enemy of good. Mm-hmm. Can you, like, what, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, okay, let, this is a big example. But let's say <laughs> that we're looking at what Hitler wanted to do, right? Is he wanted to have the perfect human race, right? But in actuality, oh. there are no perfect humans, there just aren't like every human is going to have some kind of, they're going to come down with some kind of disease at some point, they're going to have some flaw at some point, some character flaw. So, you know, so if you're going to create a race of perfect people and eliminate everybody else, you actually end up eliminating all of humanity. So by trying to have something that's perfect all the time, uh, it's, 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 it's the same with um, if you're obsessed with having a perfect home. Where there's no dust, no crumbs, nothing. That means that a child or even just a friend would never feel at home in your house, right? Because when they come in, there's this like, okay, everything has to be perfect. I can't like, I can't step on the yeah, carpet because it's going to make it's very dens- clinical. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think that perfection, um, aside from when we're in heaven, and perfection is just. Um, like we're all we're all made perfect in God's image. Finally, like we're all perfect. There, you know, we won't have any of this struggle. Um, but while we're in a broken world, we have to be at peace with the fact that things are broken, and that trying to be perfect causes it, it causes death in some way.
0: Yeah, I suppose the only thing that is perfect is God's judgment
1: mm-hmm. and, and God God's himself.
0: absolute. Yes. And his absolute morality. And because we are so flawed and so far from perfection, I think we struggle with that. We, we struggle with that idea. Yeah. Uh, you know, why does God allow evil to exist? Why did he will it to exist? Why does he let horrible things happen? Uh, I thought he's supposed to be the perfect judge. But I, you know, that's the thing. I mean, there's like a difference between a judge and, I don't know, a big teddy bear that needs a hug. That just wants to hug people, mm-hmm. like a tickle me elmo or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. And also to remember that, like, the law is perfection, right? Like, the law of the Bible is perfection. But the law, um, under the law, is death because we are imperfect. And so Jesus took Mm -hmm. on the death penalty of the law because he said, I'm the only one who's perfect. I'm the only one who can bear that. And you don't have to be perfect anymore. And I can, like, all you have to do is say I'm imperfect. And I think that's, you've mentioned this before, but I think that that's the hardest thing for a human to do. And I think too, sometimes this is real sneaky. (laughs) This is real sneaky of us, but we can have this kind of pride in saying, I don't really want the full mercy of God. Like we don't say this to ourselves out loud, but we kind of are like, I don't really want the full mercy of God. I kind of want to be able to like earn it a little bit myself because then we feel like maybe by self-flogging or feeling really bad about ourselves or trying really hard to please God that we can kind of earn our salvation. But that's actually an affront to God. That hurts his feelings, I think, because he's like, no, you really can't. Like, you're so far down the totem pole. (laughs) You're never going to reach where I'm at. I, I lifted you up. So stop Climbing back down and trying to work your way up, that's not what I want. I want you to just accept my love and move on. You know, it's kind of like if someone forgives you, you don't want them to, you don't, they don't want you to keep coming back to them and just saying, like, oh, I'm so sorry every single day. They're like, move on. Like, let's have a relationship now, you know? So, yeah.
0: Okay. Jesus does say, stop sinning, though, doesn't he? Yes.
1: Yeah. He, de- he definitely says, turn from your sin, but that's because he lifts us up to a place where he empowers us not to sin, you know? Um, but it's different than trying to do something in our own flesh, if that makes sense. Like I am so much more empowered now to not sin than I was when I was in guilt and shame. And I I still knew about Jesus, but I, I carried my guilt and shame and wanted to make him proud by me doing something instead of just being like, God, I'm so inept And please help me, you know? And then he's like, okay, now I can empower you because you've stopped struggling. It's kind of like teaching a kid how to, you know, how to float in the water. If they're fighting you every five seconds, like, I can do it myself, they're going to go down. But if they just rest in your arms, they'll learn how to float.
0: Right. Yeah, it's interesting how, I think whether or not you, like, even if you don't believe in Jesus as Christ— or the son of god even if you just you know at least acknowledge the the truth and fact of his existence and what he went through you have to surely you can see how he really is this this incredible model of humility and sort of you know bearing your cross this idea of accepting the fact that you are flawed and that you are small and um you, you need to think of others and put others first before yourself. Um, he was he, he was like a yeah, he, he kind of showed us how God wants us to be
1: hmm
0: by example, right? yeah he was like the he was he was the model of God's image of hum- God's vision for humanity.
1: Yeah. He was the icon of the invisible God. Yeah. And uh it's 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 really I was I've been thinking so much we should do maybe an episode about pain. That would be a really good topic sometime too, but <clears throat> I've been thinking so much about pain and what pain has taught me and how pain has made me closer to God instead of driving me away. I know that some people don't experience that because they they choose to be very angry with God, but um when you, when you think about the fact that there is pain in the world, but God chose to suffer the most pain. Like, he, even just over the entire world, he sees every pain and He 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 holds every pain. So he's held more pain than I will ever hold because he's held the pain of every single person who's ever lived. And he faces rejection every day from people who get angry with him or you know, or, um, don't want to, don't want to be near him. And that's, you know, rejection is painful for any of us, but he bore, he's borne more of it than any one of us will ever bear. And he still thinks that the few of us who come to him are worth it. That's pretty amazing. You know, so Jesus knew he, even though, yes, he was going to suffer all this pain and we were going to suffer all this pain. It was still worth it to have us be with him forever.
0: Yeah. And it is interesting that one of the core tenets of the Christian faith is this this expectation that you will be persecuted.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's um. There's some I. There's some really great stories that um. I would love to share with you, and then we could talk about them on the podcast. But um. There's all these missionary stories, <clears throat> and I watched one of them yesterday. And it always just humbles me so much, you know, to be like, "Oh gosh!" Like I haven't gone through anything. <laughs> but um, it, there was this story about the this guy who started Voice of the Martyrs, who it's basically like a, a, a group that just um, helps uh, Christians who are being persecuted in other cultures. Because I do think that sometimes we get um, we think that Christianity is like a white religion when it really isn't. Like it started with the Jews, and it went to the Turks, and then like it, it's gone all over the you know whole planet. We just see maybe more like propaganda type stuff from from, um, the American churches and stuff. But um, this was about a story in Romania and just uh, about all this stuff that this pastor endured. I'll, I'll send it to you sometime and you can watch it. But just really, really good stories about what Christians have gone through and just the grace that God gives them to endure and how much they love God in it. It's just, I mean, I just cried. I mean, I always cry during those things because it's like, oh, Lord, you know, my that is just... I pray that if that ever happened to me, that's how I would feel.
0: Yes. Yeah, I, there is. You, you mentioned how a lot of Christianity is, is, seems to be represented by white culture. Uh, we often see depictions of Jesus as a, a very white man. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we know for a fact that that's certainly not what he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that it's the least bit important or makes any difference, but um, I, it does seem like a common criticism. It's like, oh, Christianity is so white. Um, and it's just not true. Most of the people at the church I go to are from China or Japan, mm-hmm. or Korea, uh, the Philippines. We've got, we've got a couple of Filipino uh, pastors um, there's actually a surprisingly low number of Westerners yeah. at the church I go to, um, and I do draw a line between race and culture. You see, people—I I think people with an axe to grind—are always trying to make everything about race, mm-hmm. because you know that's what Hitler did, right? And it's—and it's—it's—it's it's evil. It's evil to condemn people based on the colour of their skin or their hair or their eyes, which it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's evil to condemn people period. Um, well, yeah. What, what what would you say about that? Do you think do, do uh, you think there's a The
1: difference between a line race between, and culture?
0: Um, yeah. Or, yeah. Or con- condemnation versus judgement. Like, do you think...
1: Yeah, well, it's kind I, of
0: one of the same thing
1: um well, I think that you're called to be discerning and um, like
0: discerning yeah,
1: yeah. and have, and have a certain amount of um like I think there's good judgment and then there's bad judgment and bad judgment is 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 full of derision you know like I, I really despise these people or whatever you know we're not called to do that like it, you know the condemning versions of things but there but we are called to be good judges you know good judges of character. Um, good judges of I'm not just gonna let if I if I have a child in my care, I'm going to be very judging about what kind of content I let them um, inject. Discerning. Yeah. Because mm. it's like, well, you know, not everything is created equal and not everything is the same level of goodness. Um and I do think that that, that goes with different kinds of cultures as well. You know, there there's beautiful things about almost every culture but there's dangerous things about almost every culture um you know and the only like you know for me i you know and i I think when we are christians true christians we can say i'm really not a citizen of this world anymore i'm i am i don't you know like yes i might live in this particular country and you know if i was called for war whatever i would have to side with whatever side was good you know but mm-hmm. I'm a citizen of heaven. My allegiance is to a king who isn't, you know, isn't in this world right now. Um, and so I'm free to kind of be, you know, I can, I can be with everybody. I can be with any kind of culture, but I'm also called to raise up all cultures into heaven. If that makes sense. Like if there, if there is a a culture, like for me, I'm very passionate about um, like gang culture. I, I've, I've seen, the influence of gang culture on so many different cultures um and you mean it like takes
0: tribalism the, what you mean tribalism
1: um well yes but i'm also talking specifically about like like m16 gang culture like the tattoos the the rap um you oh, know mob yeah. killings those kinds of things like um that has taken over um, I would say most youth culture. It doesn't matter what you, what, like, it it, it it is affecting, um, the, it's affecting, like, Asian children, and it's affecting, um, black children. It's affecting white children. It's affecting all children. So, when you see a movement like that, that's a, like, I feel like that is a bad, dangerous culture. Do I think that, like, all rap music is evil? Well, no. I mean, like, there's Christians who do rap music, and, You know, I think it's like, okay, if you can get a positive message out, that's great. But there's a lot of elements to that culture that I would say are really dangerous and bad. So, you know, if I'm called to go into those cultures and raise them out of it, it's like there are certain elements that we're going to have to get rid of.
0: Yes. Yeah, cults are very real. Mm -hmm. they're They're as present as they were 100 years ago, 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's it's just instead of a pitchfork and a torch, we've now got, like, uh, a, a smartphone.
1: Yes. Yeah. Mm. So, like, when you are making the line between <clears throat> race and culture, what kinds of things are – this is going to be great to lead into our aesthetic thing. <laughs> but, oh, um, good. When, when you're when you're talking about that, like, what are the kinds of judgments that you think should be made?
0: Well, you were talking about how it often seems like Christianity is often represented by white culture mm-hmm. and I suppose one might say, well, going all the way back to you know the roman the the, the, the Roman Empire um capitalism seems to have for some reason been a a, a part of this." Western sort of culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we mustn't forget about China, yeah, you know c- capitalism doesn't belong to any particular race or culture. Um, I think we're always very tempted to look at things as a stereo like through a stereotypical lens
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's happening now as much as it. Ever did in history, we haven't actually progressed uh nearly as much as we like to think we have mm-hmm. you know we still like our cults and our tribes, we still talk about each other as if we 're bumper stickers, labels, colors, numbers, and it you know it kind of it makes me think. I, I used to ask myself the question, you know, was Jesus in favor of religion? Uh, I, I, I don't think that's really a, the the right question. I, I don't think that's an important question. I think Jesus was about something much bigger than that, mm-hmm. infinitely bigger than that.
1: Yeah. And when you say religion, like, what did, okay, so what did you think, I guess, what did you used to think of religion? What do you think of now? Like, what do you think of that question even?
0: Well, when I was in my agnostic atheist period in my mid-20s, I th- figured that a religion isn't any different from a cult. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then as I got older and I sort of thought more about this, I realized that a religion is a byproduct of people recognizing a truth about the world and mm. about our existence. It's not... You know, people kind of look at something like Christianity, like it's this—it's this law that we've constructed, and we have to stick to it because law. Yeah, it's—it's it's actually far more a, a, akin to, like you know, test results in a lab. Mm-hmm. Like we're—we're we're acknowledging and recognizing that this is the fabric of the universe, and this is how. We work and how morality unfolds. This is how society thrives. This is how people love each other or hate each other. This is the slope we find ourselves on when we go this way. And this is the slope we find ourselves on when we choose to say or do this.
1: Yes. And
0: that's not a construction, that's not a fabrication. That's just a document. Like the Bible is a documentation of the reality we're in.
1: Yeah, I've never heard someone put it that way. But that's, that's genius. (laughs) I'm like, yes, that is so true. Because and and this is what makes me sad about you see as Lewis would call it chronological snobbery, where we think that we are so much more advanced than our ancestors, we can just throw out all the old documents and the old books and you know, Mm -hmm. um, and that just makes me so sad because the more that i'm studying old stuff it's wonderful because you go humans have not changed i can figure out what to do by reading these old things like you reading the reading the bible obviously first thing i mean like that's the book that you got to read and you got to know that better than the back of your hand but then when you start reading things that people you know that were inspired from the bible by people who read it good literature and you go, wow, like they had such an insight onto human nature. I can apply this everywhere, you know, but they don't, they don't have that for us in schools anymore. They don't have that, you know, on purpose. It's all on purpose. We have to self-educate and I'm not going to complain about it anymore I'm like, you know what, Uh, one of my favorite sayings that I just, you know, say to myself all the time is all the answers you will ever need are in all the books you'll never read. And if you never read them, that's on you, you know, it's, Mm. it's on me to read the things that I need to read and to, you know, I can choose to not watch something and to read something, you know, but when I do that, I, I, it's just like, wow, the world is so much more open to me because when you start investigating your history, you know, the projection of your future.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I think what especially young people do is they look at history through a very negative lens. Mm-hmm. You know, without a doubt, you know, human history is absolutely uh, its th- – there is no shortage of atrocities and injustices throughout history. Yeah. And tragedies and all sorts of evil. That is absolutely true but that doesn't somehow give you this excuse to think that just because something is old i can discard it i should discard it that's you know cs lewis puts it as like if you're doing an, if you're trying to solve an arithmetic problem this is in mere christianity which is a good book he says if you're trying to solve an arithmetic problem um and you get like six steps into the equation and you realize you've made a mistake somewhere, what are you going to do? Are you going to just keep going forward and trying to solve the equation with <laughs> errors that you know you've made a few steps back? Or are you going to look back and correct, uh, c- correct your mistake?
1: Yeah. Well, if you're a bad mathematician like me, <laughs>
0: Yeah, me too. You know, yeah, yeah.
1: but it makes so it makes so much sense because you know you're like oh, I know I messed up somewhere, and if I don't go back, it's only going to get worse. You know, so yeah.
0: Yes, and I think if you just outright discard the past and history and um, you know the 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 the, the findings of of thousands, millions of people who all share the same humanity as you, um, then you're kind of left just flying by the seat of your pants. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm going to get rid of the GPS or the satellite navigation in my car and I'm just going to drive and just hope that I get to wherever it is I want to get to. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) You... I mean, I, 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 did not like history in school. I, I, I was just, I was so bored. Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. How, what is it? How were you, what sort of, were, were you the same in school or did you find history a bit, dr- a bit droll as a young person?
1: Well, I didn't like the way, okay. Well, first of all, I, most of my history I taught myself because I did <clears throat> a lot of online classes for history so I was able to just read the books and just teach myself. Uh, and I did all my history kind of back to back on purpose because I was like, they give it to me in such parsed out pieces. I just want to do it all at once and get the whole storyline, you know. So I actually mm. really enjoyed my history studies, but that's because I enjoyed teaching myself. And then also my mom had showed us a lot of historical movies and things like that when I was pretty young. So I understood like, okay, this is what this time period looks like. This is what this time period looks like. And um, I think getting my history through story first was very helpful because I was able to sit with those people and their emotions in that time period and it was more personalized. But I think that if I had only ever seen history through the lens of a typical school setting, I would have been more bored. I've always found history really interesting because I just I loved old-fashioned things like ever since I was really little I just longed to I loved old books I just I had this longing for speaking to people in the past because I felt so much more of a kinship with them than my modern people I just um, I felt like they understood more things in the past but I think that's because modern moderns are very self-centric and they don't really see the whole they don't see the picture of the world around them. I was always interested in how does every person connect with everybody else? Like, how do, how do we all, you know, what what tapestry are we a part of? And everyone was just so interested in being autonomous. I was like, well, I can't go with that. Um, but that doesn't mean that, like, I know, have all my dates and those things down. I think sometimes we, we put too much emphasis on the... Mm, Sciencey the side? Technicalities. yeah, yeah. It's like no, no, mm. no, just just get the story, get the story down. So, um, so I'm I'm glad that I was exposed to history in that way.
0: Yeah, okay, yeah, I can see that. I think that's what bored me about it about history in school was just the obsession with dates. You got to memorize mm-hmm. these dates, and then yeah. if you, when it comes time to your essay, your uh, what's it called, your exam, if you remember all the dates correctly, then you know, it's top marks from the teacher. Hmm. I don't. Uh-oh. I don't understand like what is the significance of of that. Like, if you're going to be a historian, okay, I, I guess that. But if you're going to be a a, a theo, if you're going to get into theology, or if you're going to be a teacher, you know, te- like where you're responsible for the moral upbringing of people. What? Why do you need to have dates? memorised and
1: Mm -hmm. it's
0: not helpful (laughs) no it's not yeah
1: did you ever feel um did you ever get interested in history just through I don't know like some form of art or something else that you're like oh I would really like to have known more about this time period I've
0: always had and this I think this will be our segue perhaps I've always had a, a fascination with the aesthetics of of Egyptian culture. Mhm, okay. As it was, you know, way back. Yeah. Uh back in the times of you know when 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 Jesus was around. Um like the you know the film The Mummy with Brendan mm-hmm. Fraser and uh what's her name? Rochelle Re- 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 w- Ways? Ways, I could never oh, pronounce I don't it. Know. But <laughs> I just, I, I loved just anything to do with Egypt. I just absolutely loved. But I love it on like an aesthetic level, like the mm-hmm. warmth, the sand, the stone. There's a kind of magic underneath, mm-hmm. like just right underneath the surface of it all. Uh, yeah. I suppose that's like aesthetics versus kinesthetics. But you wanted to talk about this.
1: Yes. So yeah. And I, I, we, I only have about like 20 more minutes, but this is going to be fun. So, um, yeah. So I wanted to talk about aesthetics versus soul and what I even mean by that. So, um, aesthetic, I kind of have come up with this quick thing. It's kind of like the prettiness of something, right? Whereas the soul is more the inner beauty of something. And I I feel like this could go for, this goes for so many things, but I mean, definitely for art. Um, And then art leaks out into, you know, how are our homes put together? How are our outfits put together? You know, all this stuff. And there's so much emphasis these days on aesthetics and Mm -hmm. things being pretty, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're beautiful. Um, So I guess my, okay, so. I, wanna, I wanted to ask you, like, what is something that you felt like? Okay, this is aesthetically maybe not very pretty, but it's beautiful for this other reason. Did you ever have an experience with either, I don't know, like just something in regular life or um, in art that felt that way?
0: Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> nothing that comes to mind immediately. But I do know what you're talking about, because I remember going through a museum somewhere in Britain of modern art. And you'll find the definition of beauty being everything from questioned to flushed down the toilet.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Like here's a painting and it's many metres wide and many metres tall what is it? It's a blank canvas and it's a line ruled across it. Oh, wow, edgy, (laughs) different. And then here's feces in a bucket. That's art, apparently. Mm. But who are you to say that that's not art, Ashley?
1: Well, I mean, I guess my definition of art would be something that touches the soul and makes it, um, it brings it to a higher plane. I think that sometimes people think that art is just something that moves the soul around, (laughs) you know, like, um, seeing something that is, uh, degenerate moves the soul, but it moves it downward, you know? So maybe I would say that that is like evil art. Um, whereas I think that beautiful art, good art is something that even if it's ugly on the outside, it elevates the soul somehow. Um it's really interesting because I've seen like um I remember seeing like because the, there's some old paintings that are like really really horrible to look at. I don't know if have you ever seen like any medieval paintings of like um people being like assaulted by demons and things? Have you ever seen any of those?
0: Yeah, I've seen those. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so like sometimes I would see those and I'd be like why the heck was this ever painted? Like this is horrible. And then there were certain ones of them where I'm like, you know, i've I've felt that before, or like I know someone who's going through this experience, so sometimes it's it really depends on the soul of the artist too, like what is their intention with a piece because <clears throat> I think that so much of what goes into a piece of art becomes of what it is, like that's why I think a lot of modern movies or modern art fails because it's we can tell that there's no real soul behind it it's a it's a group of board it's a board meeting that put this together or or it's someone who has no idea what just regular life is about and so it it comes across as flat and fails um Mm -hmm. whereas Mm -hmm. someone who has been through a lot of pain they might create a painting that is like almost disturbing but you're like wow this is this is moving me in a positive direction even though i don't understand why does that make sense
0: Yeah, it does. I mean, I I think it's all good and well to say that art is, you know, there's a lot of subjectivity and often a lot of it comes down to personal taste. And I think that's true. I think we're all unique individuals, but I think we can all agree on certain universal standards of beauty and value and substance. And the reason I think that is because we're all subject to life and then death.
1: Mm-hmm. We
0: all have to choose right from wrong. we all go we we all fall into depression or obtain happiness. You know we all mm-hmm. agree on what these things are. we all suffer and then we all thrive, and art, I think. What would you say? It like it echoes, it, it reflects the nature of these things, right? Like it's it's yeah. a reflection of how, – how would you describe that?
1: Well, okay, this is interesting. I remember in school we had – so this was in my college, and I loved my college. My college is like one of the last standing good colleges. I loved it. We were talking about this, and there's like – there's a type of art that reflects – back to us what our everyday experience is and then there's another kind of art that pulls down from like the perfect forms of beauty as it should be so we're kind of in between two different types of art there's one that's constantly reflecting back to us what daily life looks like and that's, you know, it's just a mirror for us to observe ourselves. And then there's another type of art that is like, this is what you should be come up into this. And I think both forms are important. But what has happened is that a lot of times people use art as some something where it's just like a... Uh, they only want it to be an expression of themselves instead of an expression of a greater truth for all of humanity. Doesn't mean that it's not going to be, you know, reflecting somehow <clears throat> um, real life, but when you create a piece that's only about yourself, um, a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times it becomes kind of small and stagnant. It's not going to have long lasting power, you know? That's why, like a modern pop song versus a, an old poem, the old poem is going to have more. It's, it was more rooted in truth, whereas the modern pop song is not. So the modern pop song will, will fade away. It's like a, a flower that lasts for a day, right? Whereas an old poem is like a mountain that's going to stay forever.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I think it kind of works in the opposite direction too. Like if you try to create something of substance and value and long-lasting meaning and appeal for people – by just sticking to formula and mm-hmm. trends of the current day. Well, trends change every day. your fads don't stick around and I think you have to create art as a human being and not as an algorithm, not as a machine. You know, we talk about, oh, the rise of AI and algorithms. That's been around f- for a long time. Mm-hmm. It, it, now it's just in machine form. But people have been making art, movies, music, games, solely for money or political gain and adherence to research algorithms, statistics for a long, long, long time.
1: Yeah. It's very true. And, you know, I think the best art is really given to us. You know, it's like we receive, you know, you you can, there was someone who said it's like fishing. You go out fishing every day and you might pull in a fish or two, you know, but it's like I didn't really, I didn't really make it even though I was the conduit for it. And I did, I did the work to bring it here. It was. It's almost like it was already there, you know. Um, and I think one mm-hmm. of the one of the main things with this whole aesthetic versus soul that I want people to understand is that just because something is polished and pretty on the outside doesn't mean that the inside has any substance whatsoever, you know. Right. Um, and we are so trained nowadays to be visual instead of um, visceral, like you know, feel it in your gut. You know, like I think rarely do we watch a film or um, read a you know i don't know like read a magazine or you know whatever or look at an instagram photo whatever that has it makes us feel like a visceral reaction and I, and i don't mean to disparage modern artists because we have more tools now than ever i think that's wonderful i think that's mm. great yes but what i think what we, what i think we're lacking and this actually ties into what we were talking about is that if we discard all of history and we discard our learning and we only go with what we think and feel in the moment those things are temporal and shallow. And so everything that we put forth is going to be temporal and shallow. And also when you're obsessed with aesthetic beauty, you forget what is truly beautiful. Like, you know, um, there's so many, there's, there's, there's so many people, um, who are obsessed with their looks, you know, it's just, we've turned into a very, um, in the classical sense, narcissistic culture, because we're always looking at ourselves. You know, everybody takes a selfie. Everybody looks in the mirror. We have more mirrors yes. than we ever have, you know?
0: Yeah. selfies, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, but, and we become selfish, which just means preoccupied with the self. Selfish doesn't mean, you know, um, always just wanting something for yourself. We use that in that term. But yeah. selfish ish just means you're about yourself. Um, and when we look at things through this, like, okay, everything has to be aesthetic, we can miss what is really beautiful. Like if a child comes to me and gives me a, you know, a painting that they've made, and it, it you know, aesthetically is terrible, <laughs> you know, it's, it, the, the dinosaur or the horse or whatever is completely wrong in the anatomy, you know, it's just messed up, but they put their little heart and soul into it. Well, that, that, to me, has a form of beauty that someone else might not see, right? And I'm not I don't want them to stay stuck in that state of art. I want them to grow out of that, but I see like wow, they, you know these tiny little hands that first could not hold a pen have now put together this 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 thing and they pulled from their imagination and then they gave it to me and that to me is beautiful. Um I think the same goes for so many things in our in our daily life and in our artful life. If we're not attending to what is the soul of this piece? Like what did the person Um, have behind it sometimes we can just write something off and say like oh i don't like that and like you said you know everyone has their personal taste where you know maybe you truly will never like um maybe you truly will never like a pop song like pop songs are not my favorite thing they're you know there's some pop artists that i'm like you know i can i like that because that person has some soul um but i think it's really important to instead of only having an aesthetic judgment have a soulful judgment
0: Mm. yeah what you're saying reminds me of uh, Michael Jackson to an extent mm. because nowadays you might listen to his music and go, oh, it's all in the production. It's all in how the drums have been mastered and mixed with the bass and, well, I don't know, man. I mean, if if you've ever watched just Michael Jackson raw unedited on a piano and it's just the man and the piano and then he starts stomping and he starts Beatboxing. It's like, no, no, no. All the soul is right there. It's yeah. the man, it's his relationship with the instrument and with God. And say what you want about what he did towards the end of his career, I don't know. I honestly have no idea. Mm-hmm. What I do know is the man was insanely talented and musically gifted beyond definition. Yeah. And it's not in the polish of his work or because you know a lot of the, his music was mastered by you know mixing engineers and produced by beat makers like Quincy Jones but you look at the man with his piano tapping away you know beatboxing and you can just yeah oh, it's it's the exact same experience as listening to Billie Jean in its polished form.
1: Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. It gets your
0: head bopping and your foot tapping and you just feel it.
1: Yeah, That's the real,
0: that's where the beauty really is.
1: Yeah, And, and yeah, so when we can see someone's soul, even if the thing isn't quite ready yet, like, I think that this also, too, reminds me of how God looks at us because you know, we are not ready. <laughs> we are not, um, we're not beautified yet. You know, we are going to be beautified finally when we're in heaven. And he's bringing us, you know, on the journey of sanctification, where we're getting more beautiful as we get closer to him. But um, he sees us as we are, like, he sees us as we are, but he also sees the finished product that he's going to make. And he, he doesn't judge us on the aesthetics of our soul as we are right now. He does, he judges on the soul as he wants it to be, as he sees it in the future, you know? So I think that we're called to do that with everything. We're, you know, we're called to see this, this, this beauty that could be, and that should be in something and make it that way. Um, and not write things off or complain because they aren't that way yet um, you know, we're called to, if we see that little snotty nosed kid in church running around making a bunch of noise, it's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to complain about it? Or are you going to be like, okay, you know, here's like, here's some crayons and a piece of paper, like go make something and, you know, like join them in that world. Or, you know, our, our brothers and sisters, like, how are we going to treat, you know, how are we going to treat them? Are we going to be angry because they're not at this certain spot in their life yet? Or are we going to encourage them and give them the things that they need and see their soul? So, um, and then even just down to the way that, You know, I don't even even though down to the way that we present our homes to people and the way that we dress, it's like we're doing these things for other people. You know, the aesthetic should be warm and inviting, not just about ourselves. if that makes sense.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I think all the TikTok Instagram culture is kind of taking us in the opposite direction. It's capitalizing on narcissism. Mm -hmm. And they know that's what they're selling. Well, yeah. They're selling you. You're the product because what are you paying for TikTok? What are you paying for Instagram? Oh, that's right. It's free. You're paying nothing. Well, what's yeah. the product then? You. You're the product. And yeah. your vanity and your, um, your self-interest, you know, and that's a trap that I fell into for a long time. And I made my work sort of gradually less about the music and more about me Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know at one stage I was thinking how can I have an intro and an outro on all of my videos and I don't know what possessed me to want to do that you know just make the music and then upload the music Why why do you have to be in there why does your face and voice have to be in there I don't understand that you know because I'm not a singer, I'm not an actor mm-hmm. i'm a dj I'm, I'm i'm a music i'm I'm a studio guy, so i I fell into that trap of making everything about myself and about aesthetics and vanity, yeah,
1: yeah, and I think that like as a writer, I've done the same thing too you know like, I remember just wanting it to i wanted to write something really important. And I felt that God had given me things that were important, but I was obsessed with the importance more than I was just like, you know, um, just like in the flow of the writing. And I knew that I had to get rid of that. But all the things that God has put me through has scrubbed off and scraped off and gotten rid of a lot of that stuff. And now when I write, um, it's really funny because people always say like, oh, this sounds really old, you know, and I'm like, oh, good. Like, that's just probably because that's, I've read a lot of old stuff and I love old stuff. And I'm glad that it sounds old, but it, it, I'm glad that it still carries something in them, like some weight in the modern world. Because nowadays, I don't want to write over people's heads. Like, I, I think I used to think, oh, these uncultured swine a little bit. You know, I had that attitude. And, mm. you know, I, I really came to understand these people don't have language. They, and don't look down on them for not having language. That's like getting mad right. at a three-year-old for not understanding a big word. How dare yeah. you, you know? And um, I, really t- I really was like, man, I, I need to have compassion. And I need to bring these people up in a in a loving way, because that's what Jesus did for us. I mean, he came down, he knows yes. everything. I mean, you know, God knows everything. He didn't come down and be like, oh, you little peons, you don't know what you're, you know, you don't know what I'm talking about. He, you know, a lot of times he, he was just like, oh, you know, you just, you don't understand yet, but I'm here to help you understand. I'm here to... You know, I'm here to give my whole life for you. If 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 that's what my Jesus did, that's what I have to do for other people. And so I really, like, if I, if I have that thought now, I'm like, you know, grab my hammer and sledgehammer that thought because it's just, it's so unloving.
0: Yes. And y- y- you're as much of a sinner as the next person.
1: Exactly. And when I think yeah. that I'm better than someone, I'm worse than them automatically. <laughs> so, you know… The Lord yeah. has humbled me. He's been faithful to humble me a lot. But, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I probably need to get going, but I did want to um, – there's something that I sent to you that I would love for either you to read or me to read to kind of close up this um, this. Podcast. Okay, sure, yeah.
0: Do you want to read it for us? Yep.
1: Yeah, I can read it, yeah. Um, so this is from a book called At the Back of the North Wind. Wonderful, wonderful book. Um, and so this is it's, – it's a fairy tale about the North Wind being personified as a um, – as a person and she comes and visits this little boy named diamond and she kind of teaches him all these lessons about what is what is real beauty and what is um and sometimes the think the things that we think are painful are actually there in our lives to help us attain more beauty down the road so <clears throat> this is when she, uh, he, he first meets her so um she says now for the next question you're not to call me ma'am you must just call me by my own name respectfully you know just north wind and then Diamond says, "Well, please, North Wind, you are so beautiful. I'm quite ready to go with you. You must not be ready to go with everything beautiful all at once, Diamond. But what's beautiful can't be bad. You're not bad, North Wind. No, I'm not bad. But sometimes beautiful things grow bad by doing bad, and it takes some time for their badness to spoil their beauty. So little boys must be might maybe mistaken if they go after things just because they are beautiful. Well, I will go with you because you're beautiful and good too. Ah, uh, but there's another thing, Diamond." What if I should look ugly without being bad? Look ugly myself because I'm making ugly things beautiful. What then? I don't quite understand you, Northwind. You must tell me what then? Well, I will tell you. If you see me with my face all black, don't be frightened. If you see me flapping wings like a bat's as big as the whole sky, don't be frightened. If you hear me raging ten times worse than Mrs. Bill, the blacksmith's wife, even if you see me looking at other people's windows like Mrs. Eve Dropper, the gardener's wife, you must believe that I'm doing my work. "'Nay, Diamond, if I change into a serpent or a tiger, "'you must not let go your hold of me, "'for my hand will never change in yours "'if you keep a good hold. "'If you keep a good hold, "'you will know me who I am all the time, "'even when you look at me "'and can't see me looking least like the North Wind. "'I may look like something very awful. "'Do you understand, then?' "'Quite well,' said Little Diamond. "'Come along, then,' said North Wind, "'and disappeared behind the mountain of hay. "'Diamond crept out of bed and followed her.'" So, Mm. I love that just because it's saying, you know, sometimes the things that God brings us through or brings us to doesn't always look beautiful, but that doesn't mean that it's not bringing us to a place of beauty.
0: Yeah, that's really good. I mean, it's I, I like what she says about something doesn't have to be beautiful in order to be good. And, yeah, the the, the appearance – well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's the old, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. But, I mean, if you try to I, – I, you know, I, I can't imagine Jesus looked terribly good uh, once the people had their way with him.
1: Mm, no. Yeah. And
0: um, that's – yeah, that's pretty deep, I think. That's something that is – again, it's like – it's the humbling power of him.
1: Mhm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, and I just and I and I do encourage people like, you know, sometimes listen to old uh, old books, old movies, old songs and it doesn't matter if it's not as polished as something modern, it might have something to teach you that um if you are humble to sit, sit and be quiet and learn from that, you, you know, you can bring that old beauty into your modern life.
0: Yes, definitely. Yeah, I think we need to love each other not as um, appearances or labels or uh, bumper stickers, but as flawed uh, individuals Mm -hmm. who are all kind of suffering in our own ways, but I think also in the same way, you
1: know. Yeah, exactly. Oh, there's a story from this book. I will, okay, I'll just say this really quickly because I do have to run, but I've, I'm putting it out in my newsletter. In the show notes, I'll put that, I'll put the, um, I'll put my newsletter in there. But I I took a an old fairy tale from At the Back of the North Wind that was just kind of randomly popped up in there and put it in there, but it's talking about exactly what you're saying, like loving uh, loving each other even when we are not at our best. And it, it's a beautiful fairy tale. So, yeah.
0: mm Okay. We'll keep that for next time.
1: Okay. All right.
0: All right. That's been episode five of Humans Being. Thanks so much for listening to us, folks. I hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, thanks very much for talking with me, Ash. It's been great.
1: Mm -hmm. You too.
0: See you guys next time.